Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Phoenix Handlebars, as well as tear-off gaskets and throttle timepieces. And also we have with us Fox Racing Canada and Fox Moto in the United States of America with us on the podcast today. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, the guy who uh, we've been ships passing in the night. Uh, I sometimes, at one point, I did not think this podcast was even going to happen because of how many times we just re- rescheduled, completely forgot about each other. That happened no less than three or four times, which uh, speaks speaks volumes to the organizational skills of both members of this particular phone call. Um, but he's uh, he's got a t- he's great with numbers, he's great with coding, and he's a great friend of mine, especially when it comes to uh, Moto Twitter and everything on uh, social media when it comes to motocross. Clinton. Fowler from three laps down. How's it going, Clinton? It's going well, Brad. Glad to glad to chat with you and finally make it happen. We're finally pulling the trigger on this. Uh, do do you like Clinton or Clint Fowler, or is like do you gonna call you Clint? Oh, you know you you can use either one. I always say I get that question a lot, and I always say you can use either because you could call me a lot worse than either of those. Fair enough. I always say like uh, my my full name is Bradley, and the only people who call me Bradley are my mom and the police. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. The, is, there's a history here. I mean, well, we honestly, like uh, it's probably uh, equal parts with both because I don't, I, I don't hang out with my mom over like a, a ton. I do live on my own, so uh, and I, but I don't see the uh, the cops very much either. So, uh, um, yeah, maybe maybe it's mom a little bit more than the uh, than the boys in blue. Um, so. You're a guy who's been around the scene uh, within motocross, kind of lurking in the shadows, three laps down. If you're not following on Instagram yet, you should be, especially by the end of this podcast. Um, But a guy with a a well of knowledge and a unique perspective on the sport, someone who's followed it for a long period of time, uh, but also digs a little bit deeper into the the why behind the how, and and certainly the what as well. Um, For those who... Uh, I've heard you know, you've mentioned on on Publimex shows and through Steve Mathis, who's uh, uh, a great friend of the podcast, I think. Um, but uh, give us give us a little bit of background and and uh, sort of uh, who the heck is three laps down and who is Clinton Fowler? Yeah, uh, let's see. The the quick background would be uh, like probably most of your listeners and yourself grew up racing. Um, I grew up in the New England area, racing New England Sports Committee and uh, NESC and NEMA way back in the 80s and 90s. I'm an old guy. Um, <clears throat> always just hanging around. Uh, you and Treadwell like just Joe going Joe banging Joe. bars or what? You know, Treadwell's got me by a few years. Treadwell and Keith Johnson got me by five or six years. But that okay. that was kind of the generation that I grew up with. Um, uh, yeah, so um, Treadwell and... And really Keith Johnson, Keith Johnson grew up, he was five miles from me and um, where we grew up, my brother and I, and uh, he would come and pick us up and take us riding because he was, you know, three, five years older. So he had his license before we did and we'd go hit some of the burn sections in New England and uh, and ride and practice. And yeah, anyhow, grew up, grew up on the East Coast in New England racing and have always followed the sport, but um, yeah. Then, then, then wife took over <laughs> life. The realities of, you know, I was halfway reasonable on a bike, but wasn't, uh, wasn't to the level of it was going to make it a career. And so went to school and got into technology and 
moved out to Seattle and joined Xbox in the very, very early days uh, when there was about 50 employees. Really? Have done. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So something a little different, but always followed Moto um, and just have been super passionate about it. And a couple of years ago, uh, I tore up my knee and so I couldn't do anything and uh, decided to finally do something about uh, the fact that we don't really have super detailed stats on motocross and supercross. Uh, the vault has always been around and I've always been super appreciative of the vault, but it, it just didn't have a bunch of the moto scores from the eighties and nineties and didn't have, you know, more of the stats you get from the major league sports. So, um, yeah, behind the scenes, I kind of took that passion and, and built it out. It's probably gone a lot further than I ever expected for sure. Uh, more than I anticipated, uh, in terms of the hours I've spent on it. Um, and then connected with Mathis a couple of years ago, and he's been a, an, an amazing supporter and, um, yeah, it's been great to work with Steve and, and do some Pulpa Max articles and, and connect with the community. 100%. Like, the, the, it's so cool to see uh, a little bit more uh, of the numbers start to come out. Uh, as any stick and ball sport person um, can can sort of sympathize with or, or, or connect with is the fact that you're always trying to, like, break down and compare and, like, one season to the next. And, it, like, is this, uh, is this something we've never seen before? And you've been able to, uh, like, kind of, like, shed light on some of those sorts of things, especially earlier in this season. Uh, when, when you were throwing down some, some, uh, some stats about like how we had never seen, uh, out of certain years, like how many, how close the championship was at the very beginning. Like I believe the, the first three rounds of the series, uh, the whole top 10 was separated by like eight points, which had never happened before. It's really cool to find those types of things out. Um, and, and, and yeah, like you said, there's tons of times where I'd try and go through a career uh, of a guy like Jeff Ward and I'd be looking at a, uh, some stats from or some moto finishes from one of his nationals and it just says that he got 12th. But then you look at like what his moto scores was. It, well, I actually won the first moto, but then I got 17th in the second moto because someone take, take up my front wheel or something like that. And it's so hard to sort of kind of dissect those days because uh, an overall finish doesn't always t- tell you what happened during that day and stuff like that. So uh, it's really interesting for you to be able to find those types of things out and uh, and do that digging, which uh, a lot of people either haven't been able to do or uh, they don't have the, the, the resources to, which you, with your background of technology and uh, and, and knowing the data side of things, it's, uh, it's a huge help. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been kind of fun to un, unbury some of the cool little nuggets. Um, uh, the one this year that's I think kind of interesting is um, Ken Roxon's the first guy since Chad Reed to to lose the championship lead in the championship after Daytona since Daytona has been moved to either round nine or ten back in I think 1998. Um, you know we're sitting at the end of the Supercross season. It's just stuff like that that's kind of neat to neat to unbury and yeah makes makes it it just tells a different story of our sport right like it's just a different way to hype it up and in a different angle to to come at it and and quite frankly i think it's a unique angle i think a lot right now um you know whether it's on social media or in the in the news outlets i think a lot of the stuff that we're covering is the same things um and i think the data just allows us to actually find new new and unique storylines so um you know it's fun for 
for me to write some of the articles, but quite, quite honestly, I love being able to just send off Steve, uh, you know, he'll ask questions here and there and I can just send him the data behind it and give him the, the facts. And then he gets to, to wrap the story around it and connect with the guys in the industry and, and just bring it to life with a lot more color than I could. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's super fun to uncover those things. Right, exactly. Like Steve has a ton of knowledge and he's a total moto nerd. He's the guy that still goes through the old magazines and the old cycle news and stuff like that. Uh, I believe some of them are even available online uh, to to sort of comb through. He knows the stories and then when you have numbers that back that up, it really starts to take shape. And, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about his uh, expertise and his broadcast. So uh, why is it that you feel that, uh, especially uh, in the infancy of the sport, and if you want to, like, the, the reality is is that the sport didn't really become uh, legitimized and, and, and taken seriously, especially in North America, until the, the early 70s, and wasn't like a, a, like a really sanctioned thing until the mid-70s, and what... what was produced by that was there wasn't a lot of documentation there wasn't a lot of like there was no ability to take down lap times and stuff like that uh how are you able to uh to f sort of find some of those things maybe that stuff's all uh, part of your, your secret sauce um but uh what were some of the things that are missing when it comes to putting the puzzle together especially in the later years oh man um it's been a journey um <clears throat> current data you know the format that I get it from out of uh, the AMA results, the PDFs from a technology perspective is ancient. It'd be like, you know, Cooper Webb showing up to a line riding a, a 1988 KX250. Like it's just, it's a bit archaic. So that's been a unique technical challenge to just get today's data. And, and we've got a lot of data today, which, um, I wish it was more readily accessible in modern technology, but I'll, you know, I can work around that. Um, but the history, man, the history has been tough. Um, if you take 1972 to 1978, the only place where I've been able to see the results is in cycle news. And <clears throat> the crazy part in those years is in the cycle news, they didn't put the table of the finished results. And so the only way I was able to get the results was to actually read the articles. Um, and so I literally read five or six years worth of cycle news and deciphered as many positions that people finished in as possible. So um, that's one example of just pure elbow grease of trying to get the results. Um, and then for a good 20 years, so from like 1980 to 2000s, um, I used some, some, optical recognition to uh, go through the cycle news stuff and pull out the table results and, and capture all the moto and overall and, and points. Um, and as you can imagine within that, uh, there was some dude at cycle news that was keying that in. Um, and so there's plenty of errors, you know, you'll have people finishing in the same position and, um, but the overall is different. And so I could look at the overall and figure out what was the actual moto finish. So, from the 80s and 90s, it was cycle news and, and leveraging technology and then building logic to, to get the results. And then from 2000 on, it's been those PDFs, as I mentioned before. So it's been a journey. It's been uh, two years of 30 to 40 hours a week just crunching through this stuff to recreate the history for both moto and, and supercross. And yeah, not I'll, I'll, what I'll say is on the technology front, it's not been fun. <laughs> 
uh, a lot of hard work, <clears throat> a lot of manual work, but uh, the labor, the fruits of the labor is pretty cool now because now I get to, and it, uh, you know what, I'll break a number for you. Martin Davalos just retired. What a travesty that we're not celebrating that he scored the most points in the 125 and 250 class. Like, that's a storyline, right? Ever? We, we miss on that storyline because we don't have this stuff in a more thoughtful format. But today, uh, one, of the, one of the guys on Twitter, uh, Mark Rogers, asked a question about Troll Train and, and Jimmy D um, and how many points they've scored in the 125 and 250s. And so I go look it up and, voila, there's Martin, Martin Davalos with 1,435 points in the 125 and 250 class across Supercross and Motocross, and that's the most all time. As he's retiring, that should be the story, right? Like, that's something that we can call out and, and talk yeah. about. But anyhow, it's it's the fruits of the labor. That stuff that that really, you know, every day, every time I get asked a question, and I dive into the data, I find something new. So it's been worth the effort to get to this point. It actually surprises me. Like, I, if, if you want to talk, talk all-time Supercross and Motocross, everyone would assume that it's, uh, that it's Ricky Carmichael, uh, like 125s. Uh, outdoors, Supercross, you name it. Uh, if there was racing, uh, the most amount of points ever accumulated would be by a guy like RC. But it's actually, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's Mike LaRocco, who had obviously a much longer career. But uh, I think the, the linchpin to uh, the legend that is Mike LaRocco, and I've been trying to get him on the podcast here uh, soon, is that I don't, I don't think that anybody was as relevant as fast for as long as Mike, like uh, Mike was knocking down 125, I, I believe he has a 125 outdoor title, if I'm not mistaken, and, and then he was obviously one of the last guys to ever win a 500 title uh, in 1994 or 93 or four, and then uh, yeah, like all the, went all the way forward to I believe he won a Supercross in 2004 or five, so uh, pretty wild. Yeah. Yep, it's exactly those things. There's just, you know, these hidden stories that we get to uncover. So pretty, pretty cool stuff. And yeah, LaRocco, man, they talk about some career stats. They're just staggering numbers, staggering numbers. Um, it's funny, I'm, I'm pulling, I'm pulling them up right now. We can, we can go through. Look, the rock is, is pretty damn amazing. Let's see, what do we got? Uh, it's computing. Career total points, Mike LaRocco scored 10,217 points between Supercross and Motocross. Uh, Over 400 combined races. I mean, just, yeah, talk about a career. But, like, those sort of stats, just incredible, right? Like, you start to look at that stuff and and see the difference. It's really, really cool. Yeah, like, I I just think, like, I I don't know. Like, I've I've been riding since I was nine. I don't know that I have 400 total days on a dirt bike. (laughs) <laughs> right it's amazing. like period like <laughs> races aside like I, maybe it's closer to that number than i realize but i don't i like that sounds like a lot um and uh yeah that's that's crazy to to be racing that often and honestly those those do not include any of the times that he probably went overseas to go race uh like an osaka supercross or a bursi or genoa or any of those super like if he if he did any racing aside from that, I believe he might have done a Montreal Supercross at some point. Uh, yeah, like it, it's it's absolutely crazy numbers. Um, 
I want I want to like kind of switch gears here and talk a little bit about like uh, your brand and and like following you on on social media. First of all, if you're not already following, you need to follow Three Laps Down. Maybe one of the best follows on Instagram right now, especially if you're a moto nerd like me who just loves to sort of dissect the um, the numbers in behind and, and sort of see some some correlations between guys. Three Laps Down is really cool as a follow. How the hell do you get to a name like that? Like, Why Three Laps Down? Like, I, I know myself, if I raced against <laughs> some pros, I would probably end up Three Laps Down. But what's what's your story behind that? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> it's funny. I, I've taken some heat from a couple of guys. My buddy, Brett Smith, over at We Went Fast, is like, what is this? Um, he's like, that, you think that's a good brand? And I, the reality is it's never intended to be a brand. It was kind of more just a, uh, more a nod to humility and being a little bit humble because data always changes. Um, and inevitably, you'll come up with an insight and you get more data and then it changes the insight. And so you just got to have a lot of humility with it. But specifically, the place where that humility comes from is uh, growing up, I made it to uh, to Loretta Lynn's Amateur Nationals on three different years back in the 80s. And I was good enough to make it to Loretta Lynn's, but I wasn't particularly great when I was at Loretta Lynn's. And uh, in the years that I went, I think in 86, I was lapped by Ezra Lusk. Uh, I think Jeff Dement as well was there that year. Um, in 87, I think it was Renard that lapped me and in 88, I think it was Kevin Windham that lapped me. And so it's kind of a tongue in cheek of just, uh, I was lapped by three guys that went on to, um, stardom in, yeah. in Supercross. Every single spot. one of them won races, uh, less success for Robbie, obviously on a 250, but just consummate professionals. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a nod to, I'll never forget being in the old layout of uh, Loretta Lynn's, the start straight. And I'll never forget getting lapped. I don't know who it was, but being lapped by two of them battling. And literally I felt like I was watching the race, except for I was in the race. And I think I look back at that and I realized, uh, you know, racing wasn't going to be a career for me. And so technology became the career. Um, uh, not, not a bad alternative. Um, uh, but yeah, three laps down comes from from being lapped by three uh, three stars uh, of the sport, and and it's just kind of a nod to a bit of humility in uh, <clears throat> in both data and in in those moments. Well, there you go. And honestly, that kind of like blows my mind the fact that you were able to race with all three of those guys. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting uh, all three of them. Just super salty of the earth. It's funny that they're all kind of from the same area, actually. Um, uh, and, and just like uh, uh, Fox guys growing up, and, and such a what's a, a crazy era. Like I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, all three of them were uh, Kawasaki athletes at some point uh, at the uh, the early onset. And your brother was as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, my brother actually was a a pretty top a top prospect for Team Green um, around the same time. He's a couple of years older than me. Um, but he had, uh, raced in the air around more Tim Ferry and, and company, okay. uh, and a guy named Hayden. Um, but he actually, my brother took a couple of second place overalls in the 125 and 250 B class at Loretta Lynn's. And unfortunately over the winter, the next winter after that ended up paralyzed in a, in a bit of a freak practice accident, practice and starts and, um, unfortunate, but, um, the cool part is, is he went on to, he's now won a couple of Ironman triathlons in Kona, 
World Championships. Actually, him and David Bailey went head-to-head back in 2009, and my brother took the upper hand on that one and won. Uh, but he's when, you know, he just made the best of it. But, um, yeah, we did a lot of racing growing up, for sure. That's cool, man. I always find, and this is something that, that comes uh, comes up quite often on the pod, uh, about how I find in the state, in Canada, that you're, you're as, as far as my perception of Canadian, uh, like, amateur racing, is that you're less, you don't, like, there's not a lot of guys who actually travel for it. Maybe there's, like, one or two kids from every province that like will go to another province to sort of test their metal. But it almost seems like uh, an automatic thing that when a kid gets into racing, uh, if he shows any kind of promise, um, the, 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 the move is to immediately try to qualify for Loretta's move forward and, and, and try and do that. Why, why do you feel like that's something that, uh, at least to me seems to be a, a bit of an automatic uh, thing when it comes to uh, kids that uh, show a little bit of success, especially early on. You know, interesting question. I don't, nowadays, I don't know. I think it's changed a ton with all these places like Club MX and MTF and uh, all these compounds. It's definitely a different story. But um, back when I was growing up, it definitely, <clears throat> you know, it's a tight racing community in New England. And anybody that was at the, the top of the class, I mean, I just remember the road trips with the Johnsons and the New Max and the Coles and the Duvilles and uh, Treadwells and you know the families that that had the top prospects in New England we were all traveling uh, outside the region whether that was to go to Pennsylvania or New York or for my brother he would go down to <clears throat> my they would my dad and him would drive down during the winters to North and South Carolina to race in the later days um, we spent some winters down in Florida staying at the New Max um, I mean it was travel yeah it was just the it was the thing you did um, uh, I, I mean, for me, it was my dad. My dad just had a passion. He wanted us to to race and, uh, you know, prototypical moto dad in many ways. Um, and so he gave us the opportunity to go do it. So it was pretty cool. But, yeah, it's, it is definitely – it's the thing to do, right? It totally is. And it's really cool. Like, grow, growing up, uh, I could only dream of going to uh, – uh, an amateur national never had the speed. Uh, Dad was more of the uh, keep the bike on two wheels, bring it back in one piece sort of uh, uh, a moto parent. Which in the long run I actually appreciate because a lot of those kids that used to uh, put me a couple of laps down uh, when I was growing up uh, end up uh, not racing at all. I'm still involved with it, so uh, longevity is maybe the key to my a uh, uh, <laughs> little bit less success than other kids uh, enjoyed. Um, but yeah, going, going to Loretta's is, is kind of like a bucket list thing. I, I still yeah. think that, uh, in my thirties, maybe that there's like a, a, a class that maybe I can, uh, uh, rise to at some point, but, uh, we'll, we'll, that's yet to be seen. Um, this isn't on, you know, like, Brad, one, oh, go ahead. What, one, one, piece, one, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is you were talking about going to Loretta's. Um, and he, and unfortunately he just came across and I hope he's doing, it hopes he comes out the other side here. Well, but Scotty Sheik, we used to travel a lot with Scotty Sheik and I've got a memory and like just all these road trips when you're on the road trip and we'd be in, you know, somebody's RV or in the cube van or whatever, and like just doing spitballs at the toll booths and like taking a napkin and dunking it in the, um, in the cooler and then chucking it at people in their in their convertible cars as we're going down the roads. Man, like the road trip into Loretta's came with, um, I mean, the racing and going there was a blast. But honestly, for me, I think looking back, some of the times that I remember the most most fondly are, 
or some of the shenanigans that we did on the road going to the races. So, um, yeah, anyhow, maybe that was it. Maybe that's why, why we did it. The parents wanted to give the kids a good time on the roads. I don't know. I, I totally agree. Honestly, I, I, I skied competitively as a kid. I, I competed at a high level, but what I remember most was the the shenanigans that we would get into uh, on road trips? Uh, eight stinky athletes in a, um, a Ford Econoline van barreling across the Canadian prairies uh, to go uh, test our uh, see if we're worth our, our salt against uh, the kids from Alberta and BC. It was th- those were the best times. Is that like our our coaches? They would like uh, um, they would like for the guys on the team. If you if you were able to like fourteen or fifteen years old, our coaches would be like, yeah. Go see if you can uh, buy an adult magazine, and we'd be like trying to do that, and like trying to like sneak it out and stuff like that, or like pretend that we're older than we really are, and it was hilarious. Yep. Yeah. It's good times. <clears throat> Absolutely love it. So, like, actually, let's let's stay sort of tied in to the amateur scene. You talk about uh, a lack of documentation and the uh, the level of the the, the way things are uh, are, are recorded at such a low level at the pro scene, it's basically non-existent when it comes to the amateur stuff, unless uh, you happen to get your hands on some lap charts and some times and stuff like that. What, one thing that I find is a real mystery that a lot of teams and, and riders haven't really figured out with the sport of motocross is like a scouting process. Yeah, we have like the big races where some kids show up, but there's still a lot of like, there's competition dodging, and guys that ride different classes you really don't know what the picture looks like until you get them all in the same spot and what that uh, kind of rears its ugly head in is uh i don't want to name kids out but like guys like sean cantrell guys like alex fry guys like um like the there's there's countless guys that they they show tons of promise they show tons of race craft and skill and speed and this that and the other thing uh but when the bright lights of supercross turn on or it's an outdoor national, um, they're off the pace. And, and everyone's scratching their heads like, this kid looks uh, looked like a, a shoe-in uh, to be the next like world beater when it comes to the, to the sport. Um, is there any way that that can be improved? Uh, like, well, I don't know. I'm completely springing on the, this on you because it was kind of not something we talked about even prior to the podcast or even in the show notes that we created together. Um, but like... There, there doesn't seem to be any type of scouting program or any type of uh, way of really telling us what we're seeing from these amateur kids who, uh, like a guy like Ryder DeFrancesco, he's going to be on Kawasaki's uh, until his 34th birthday, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm careful to stay within the bounds of stuff where I have the, the full – the full knowledge to the one thing that I notice a lot that we do in, in moto is we compare ourselves to other sports. Um, and we always seem to be like, Oh, if only we could be like this sport or only we could be like that sport. And I think this is kind of one of those buckets, Brad, where like I look at it in, you know, I, not specific to riders, but is it any different than any other sport? Really? I mean, do you remember Ryan leaf? Right? I like, do remember Ryan Leaf. There was that he was the can't miss prospect. Uh, you can chalk him up there with Johnny Football as well as uh, uh, what was the guy uh, Jamarcus Russell, who basically ate himself out of the league. Yeah, like just if you look at football or basketball or any of these, like it's the same thing happening there, where you know you get a top prospect coming out of high school or 
uh, out of football, you know, out of college NCAA football and going into the NFL and, and people make it and they don't make it. And um, so I don't know. I don't know that it's actually that much different in, than other sports. Um, I think the only thing that's different that we, that we don't necessarily give enough um, recognition to is it's all relative. You know, those sports have a couple more zeros behind it on every single one of the numbers in terms of audience and participation and so forth. And, but at the end of the day, I think the relative scale between, you know, those that are making it and not making it are, are probably about the same. And, you know, we're going to have people that are top prospects and for one reason or another just aren't going to make it. Um, so that's one piece. And the, the last piece, of, in, you know, to your point about record keeping, one of the places where I'm just, I wish we had better record keeping was on injuries. And uh, there's a guy right now, um, what is it, this moto, all moto? I forgot, I'm, I'm going to forget his, his handle right now, but he tracks industry, he, tr- he tracks the injuries, and I need to connect with him. Um, and I, if you look at a lot of these prospects, um, they're getting injured a ton just before they turn pro. At yeah. the beginning of the Lance season, Kobush. I was looking at world yeah, beater and then the, like i don't think he's racing dirt bikes anymore yeah exactly like you just think about like take seth hammaker right the guy sure. just had an amazing rookie season third race in gets his first win uh amazing he's 20 years old he delayed going pro for two or three years because he just had injuries and he had epstein Barr and he had these things like you can't you can't get into a rhythm you can't really succeed when you're getting those injuries and like, it's interesting. We compare, we'll compare him directly to somebody like, say, a Garrett Marchbanks. Garrett's been in the league for three years. He's still a year and a half younger than Hammaker, a year younger than Hammaker. And so I think it's the the place where I actually, you know, I think your point about tracking records and that is is keen and, and and pointed, and we need to do a better job. The place where I really would love to see one one that's just completely untapped is injuries. And I think uh, I think one of the big pieces is just. Uh, I think a lot of these top prospects coming in, um, we don't know about all the, the hardship they're going through behind the scenes on just um, not even just the daily and weekly bumps and bruises, but just, you know, out for six weeks or out for eight weeks with a broken collarbone or a, a broken wrist or hand or whatever it may be. So I think, I don't know, it's tough. It's tough to get down on the prospects in the system because I think we just, uh, we just don't have insight into the probably injuries. And I actually just don't think it's that different than other industries. I think you're totally right, and I think that that happens a lot, and it happens in in stick and ball sports as well as moto. Is that like, uh, say a kid breaks his breaks his wrist, it's an eight week injury, but nationals start in six weeks. Um, like you can talk about the the, the toughness element of motocross racers till you're blue in the face. The reality is a lot of those team, the kids and the teams and the parents feel an obligation and some pressure to get out there two weeks early. The reality is, is that maybe for the first, like, because you, you came back to riding two weeks too early, uh, your results suffer for the first six nationals. Uh, and, and maybe there's something that happens even after that, that like your small sample size of six races, you're not even in the points. Like that can be enough to, to basically decide the fate of a kid that's, uh, like a a kid who's sacrificed and worked, uh, and some parents that are probably spent upwards of $250,000 over the last two decades, uh, to have their kid racing. And it's, they, it can totally go that way. You're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, you know, we, we get down on it a lot, but I don't think it's any different than, than a lot of these other leagues. Um, it's just, 
in, in ours, it's probably a little bit more personal because it's a little bit smaller and uh, there's a lot more personal relationships. 100%. So let's talk 20, uh, 2021 Supercross. Um, you had a, a ton of uh, great information, especially with with Webb and Roxon, uh, who like basically like in certain parts of the year, they were absolutely two completely different guys. Uh, we had some awesome uh, software, sophomore performances from guys like AC. Uh, some, uh, I believe the rookie of the year uh, was Chase Sexton, but on points, it's Dylan Ferrandis. Break it down for me. <laughs> I, I love it. I love how you already positioned Sexton as the rookie of the year. Um, and yeah, it, it, uh, um, it's such a great debate to look at that because, you know, obviously they hand it out from just points, but we can, we can start there. Uh, I'll caveat, like, I, I try to stick to the facts as the number guy. Um, you know, there's, I don't know, it's my niche to be able to just stick to the facts, but obviously it's tough not to be a fan and get emotional on some of the stuff. But I, I think Ferrandis and, uh, and Sexton, I mean, Sexton clearly is the future of the sport, right? Um, um, a couple of fastest, fastest lap times and a um, couple of podiums. It's amazing he didn't get his first win this year. He just had, had a couple of opportunities there. So, um um, I don't know. I guess I'd turn it back on you and be like, "Hey, do we need a different way to measure rookie of the year?" Right? We do it by points, and I isn't it? It's mostly voting in other in some of these other major major sports. Maybe we need to. I don't know. Do we oh, want to get the, the motocross on... media together, both legitimate and Ill illegitimate, to vote? Yeah, uh, it's a dangerous. We saw what happens with you know Feld's uh, Supercross rankings based off of the votings. There's just plenty of debate that comes up from that. Oh, don't even get me started, dude. And then, like, I, I go into the, the press conferences, and uh, it's an absolute mixed bag uh, of anyone and everyone who's, uh, um, who's, who's, who's sent in a request for a, a press credential. And, and, like, who am I to, to be the gatekeeper for that? But, um, like, it's just, I, I don't even know where you draw the line. And that if you did make it, like, a, a fan pool or a poll, like, you're just going to get, like, the most, it's a popularity contest, not, not based on, on, uh, performance, so, if I, if anything, if I didn't do total points, I would say, uh, average points per event finished, because if you have a guy, like, say a guy like Chase Sexton, he's been fast all year, he had, uh, most, he had, like, a, a ton of uh, races where he's the fastest qualifier, he had podiums, uh, and I think he had a, uh, a higher, or a better overall, um, like a average finish, uh, but he only he didn't race a lot of races. Like if say if you'd won two races and and still crashed out of the rest of the series, is the rookie of the year still Dylan Ferrandis? I don't know. Yeah, I mean average average finish. You know, Sexton's got an eight point seven, and Ferrandis has got a nine point one. So uh, you know, Sexton had a little bit better, but you look at total points, and Ferrandis had two hundred and thirty seven points, and Sexton's got one hundred and sixty two. So. Um, yeah, a pretty pretty different different view of the world. It's a tough one. It makes for great debate. It makes for the storylines, right? You can use these stats to go tell some interesting stories, and we could debate it until until we're dead. I don't know. I it I want to make sure I go on record that I'm a major Ferrandis fan. I thought it was I I loved that the American fans got all bent out of shape that you know a French rider was was kicking ass. But I mean, the dude is incredibly talented on a bike. And I hope next year he gets some hole shots so we can see him up front battling with these guys. 
Absolutely. I, I think there, you're going to see a marked improvement, especially because I think next year is going to be a very difficult proposition to find out Rookie of the Year because I have no idea who a 450 rookie would be. Like, ser- <laughs> no seriously, if you, if you look yeah. at all nine of this year's winners in the 250 class in Supercross, none of them are moving up. Not a single one of them are moving up. So, like, you had rookies do it. You had guys who have been in there for a while uh, but had uh, a lot of injuries, like Colt, um, third-year rider for, uh, for for Justin Cooper. They're both going to defend their titles. Who's, who's going to be the 450 Rookie of the Year? It literally could be um, a 450 privateer that we've never seen before. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't looked at the numbers yet, or looked at who really will move up. I guess this silly season is going to have to play out. Steve, Steve's already done what Steve does, and maybe had the, the scoop of the year, um, scoop this past week with, with, uh, with telling us that Tomac's moving over to Yamaha. So I guess that sets the stage for silly season, and maybe we'll find out if guys like Christian Craig or. Jeremy Martin are going to uh, end up having their rookie season, and we will have some legit rookies next year. Maybe we will. Yeah, no, that that, that could be uh, very well the case. Like, I'm, I'm really interested to see how it all shakes out. Um, yeah, like, uh, like someone's got to uh, move up at some point. Uh, there's only so many spots to be had there. Um, what are your thoughts on the on the uh, Tomac to to Yamaha if it happens? Like, in my opinion, if he wins, it's Tomac doing the winning. If he loses, the blame goes on the bike. So uh, if, he, if, he, if he performs more poorly, like it's kind of a no-win situation for Yamaha because uh, if like he, it's it's not like they unlocked something that the the Kawasaki couldn't. He did a lot of winning on a green. Uh, he did a lot of winning on Honda too. Um, but but like if he has another season like he did he did this last year in, in Supercross uh, or even even worse uh, uh, off. Um, I, I, I got to imagine people are going to point a lot of fingers at that blue bike. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. Um, I don't know. It's going to be weird to see if, I mean, first things first, it's just going to be weird to see Tomac on a blue bike. Um, uh, but you know, I'm, I, I ride a blue bike, so I'm just going to say it's because I was, I'll, I'll join Steve and you know, he's just trying to join us on blue crew. No, I, I joke. I kid. I don't have that sort of ego. Um, uh, I don't know, man. It's a that's a big change. It'll be cool to see something different. Um, uh, I hope that he just continues to have success. I'm kind of. I want him to get a couple. I want him to get three more wins and pass Chad Reed on the all-time win list for Supercross. He's at 48 now in total. Reed's got 50. Um, I think that's a cool storyline for the sport. Um, I think Tomac's ascending lists that are crazy. I was just playing yesterday uh with all-time starts i'm talking with our uh the the most loved in the community kyle chisholm and looking at his all-time starts and um the reality is tomac is is 16th in all-time starts in supercross combined between uh 450 and 250 and so tomac is just like in every category becoming all-time and so i just hope he he continues to have the same success he had before and and can, continues to kill it, regardless of it's you know going to be a blue bike underneath them. 
Yeah, we've often said it, it's it's rider, not bike. Um, the these guys can can just about win on anything. Obviously, there's uh, some teams that have more resources than others, but I would argue that uh, there is not a team out there that has more financial backing than a team like Fact, uh, Factory Honda, who have not who have never won a 450 outdoor championship on uh, at all, actually, uh, outdoors or in. Uh, actually, never mind. Uh, perfect season for Ricky. Never mind. Uh, but aside from that, the greatest of all time uh, on on the seat, uh, the the Honda 450 um, from HRC has not been on top step of the podium at least not since they uh, went to EFI. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting to see. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what uh, what what Roxon uh, or what Tomac's able to do. On blue, if he in fact goes there, and yeah, shout out to Steve for being maybe the, the most in investigative journalist within the sport of Supercross. Yeah, it's definitely it'll be fun. It's gonna yeah, it sets the stage for a great silly season, and and it'll make it. Uh, I don't know, he, maybe he gave us one of the better storylines to kick off next year. We shall see. So uh, I ask you this now. You're you're a stats guy. What is it that you find like uh, is maybe one of the most telling stats or maybe the most intriguing numbers uh, that that you've come across uh, throughout your your many travels in throughout the depths uh, of uh, being kind of like a motocross statistician that you've become. Um, what what sort of like jumped out at you that you found really really interesting that maybe other people uh, might find interesting might not finding interesting at all. Yeah, great question. Um, I feel like I'm just at the tip of the iceberg, actually, on figuring out the stuff that's really going to be cool. Um, you know, a lot of the effort in the last two, two and a half years has been just getting the data. Um, and this year is probably really in the last few months, the first time I've had a chance to just work with the data and analyze it versus collect it. And so um, I, what I'll say up front is I'm at the tip of the iceberg and really discovering this stuff. One that I really love, and I've been, <laughs> I've been probably obnoxious all season about it, is what I refer to as no bad days. Um, and no bad days is uh, the difference between what position a rider finishes on the last lap versus what they cross the finish line, start finish line on the first lap. So if you if a rider starts in third place and they finish in fifth place that's a bad day they lost positions through the race and if they started in 10th and they finished in fifth that's a good day they improved their position and um you know there's plenty of faults with it you know some people would look at it and be like well if you got a second place but you lost one position is that really a bad day and my answer would be like yeah that's a six point swing if it's a championship contender and the thing that I've noticed is in the last five years, there's exceptions, but pretty far and few between the rider that has the least amount of bad days wins the championship. And, and that holds true fairly often. So I think that's one that for me, uh, it's a little bit unique. Um, I'm sure I'll refine it as I continue to do more analysis and get in to actually put some science against some of this stuff, which I've really yet to do. Um, but that's one that really sticks out for me is kind of cool. Um, yeah. Fair enough. So what, what, what would you like to, uh, that's super interesting actually, uh, but where do you see this uh, growing to? What's the what's the next chapter of three laps down? Is it you going to Loretta's becoming four laps down and then having to do a rebrand completely or uh, <laughs> what's going next? 
uh, I'm pretty certain I can't make Loretta's anymore in any class. So um, uh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to change. It'll stay that, three but, laps down. Then. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be. It'll be staying three laps down. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out right now. So if anybody out there has got some great ideas of what they would do with some moto stats, I got the history. Um, but uh, no, I mean, more seriously. Um, I want to do a little bit more analysis. I want to do some, some actual data science against it. I want to look at things, you know, back to our earlier conversation of looking at prospects. There's some stuff I want to look at around how important are Loretta Lynn's results to professional results uh, and, and look at that from a science perspective. I think that'd be really cool. Um, so like there's some analysis that I want to do and then, um, I think it's time. I think it's about time. I need to make some of this stuff available to the broader public in some way, shape, or form. So uh, I'm trying to figure that stuff out right now. Um, I don't want to let anything out too, too out too early before I figure it all out. But I think it's you know my hope is to maybe make a little bit of this data available uh, more publicly to 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 have you know the moto community to be able to just pour through it in in a more interesting way. So. Um, yeah, anybody that has ideas on how I should do that, I'm, I'm all ears. Hit me up. Definitely. Aside from you completely giving away your completely your complete secret sauce, uh, which I'm sure you do get requests of uh, us moto nerds, we just want to pour over all the numbers and uh, um, and expects like guys like yourself uh, to give it away for free. But that's just the nature of the sport. Um, this has been fantastic. Uh, I, I would love to see uh, more information and cool stuff come out uh, from three laps down. We really appreciate you uh, making the time to uh, chat with us today, big guy. Yeah, Brad, it's always great to connect. And I'm really bummed out that the picture of you crashing on that tabletop didn't have the landing where you crashed. Yes, if, if my okay. girlfriend had been Bring on the other up. side of the tabletop, uh, there might be some really, really like solid slow motion uh loop out like dot basically like I, I must have like swan dived after the front the rear wheel uh and like snuggled up to it with my dislocated shoulder i got i got pretty gnarled up there i'm still feeling the effects today so that's a month later yeah. i love to give you a hard time about it obviously I love it. but no, I, I feel like if we had the other angle we'd be comparing that crash to maybe the dune goon um crash from marks and maybe the Phil Nicoletti video where he uh, just ragdolled himself uh, in Supercross. But anyhow, it's glad glad that you're okay and that you're you're healing up and and able to continue riding a riding a bike, my friend. Yes, sir. I think I, if if I had a better angle of that crash, I might have uh, like Cameron McAdoo might have uh, some something to really contend with. But that guy just keeps raising the bar. Uh, Clinton Fowler here on the Big MX Radio podcast. We're along with tear-off gaskets, guarantee your vision, as well as Phoenix handlebars, Fox Moto, and uh, as well as throttle timepieces, 15% off with that discount code. Bigamix Radio 15 saves you on throttle timepieces. Clint, this has been awesome. I've loved it. Uh, we're going to definitely have to have you on again sometime to uh, to discuss more and dive a little bit deeper. Uh, it took us about like three months to put this together, so um, I guess we'll talk sometime around Christmas. Perfect. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, uh, appreciate the time. Do not hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there.